Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable for all and edifying for all those who so desire and perhaps even equipping for those who might be pastors or teachers who are working on uh, sermons or lessons uh, in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And this week, my guest is Reverend Steve Deneff. Steve is a pastor at College Wesleyan Church. He's been there for a long time, almost 20 years now. Um, prior to that, pastoring a number of different congregations in Michigan. He's the author of numerous books, many of which uh, you can uh, I recommend highly, and uh, you should be able to access just about anywhere, everything from uh, more than forgiveness to uh, whatever happened to holiness to soul shift, whole range of books on a whole range of topics. So he's uh, a wonderful preacher and a writer and my pastor, in fact, my local uh, church pastor. And I've been wanting to have him on for a long time and thought it was really fitting to have him on this week as we begin um, our Advent series, which centers around a text from the book of Isaiah. So this week's text is Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Make sure to uh, subscribe and share as well as rate and review us to get the word out about what we're doing here at this podcast. We hope that it is of some benefit to you and might be beneficial to others as well. With that said, enjoy the show. Yeah, so Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 5, usually... One of us reads and the other says a prayer for our conversation. Okay. Do you want to read or pray? You have a preference. I'll, I'll read. Okay, yeah, you read, I'll pray. Read. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah in Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you yourself by your word and spirit, would guide us this hour. Guide us to see what you wish us to see, to hear what you wish us to hear. And nudge us away from that which might distract our attention or divert our energy as you direct our attention onto the good that you have for us and for all those who are listening in, separated by space and time, upon whom now we also dare to ask 
that you yourself, by your word and spirit, would be guiding them uh, whenever and wherever this particular flock is gathered. May we all have hearts filled with thoughts Mm. that are pleasing in your sight. Mm. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Yeah, so what uh what captures your attention today as we yeah. read this text afresh? Yeah, lots of things. Um there's lots of different angles that that I approach it. Of course, my bias is that I I come at texts like this as a preacher first, you know, and that it's it's hard to get out of the preacher mode. But once I do what I see in the text is just a tremendous amount of hope. Hmm. I see a vision for us in the last day that the world being what it is today, it is easy to give up on that vision. Hmm. It is easy to trust in everything that the kings in Isaiah's time were trusting in and to forget that the future is in the hand of God. So after I put the preacher hat down, what I heard when I read this was, boy, don't forget this. Hmm. Don't lose hope. Don't <laughs> don't let go. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is a little too meta, but I'll say it now because you use that expression, take the preacher's hat off. Yeah. Is that something you find yourself needing to do? Even in your preaching prep, as it were? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I separate my time, my devotional time from the prep time. Okay. Uh, While I have devotions, not every day, but probably five days a week, and for generally for an extended period of time, what I'm reading in my private devotions or personal is always a separate part of the Bible than the one I'm preaching on. Yeah. Okay. So I think I kind of protect it, keep it sacred. Yeah. Now that being said, I can't say that some of what I'm reading in my devotions is not going to come into the message because phrases do or thoughts or even dispositions. Mm. You know, I think I mentioned that coming into the room here is having spent the last four or five months in the prophets, right? Or even in the kings before that, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then his son did not do. He was even worse, you know. And then you read the prophets and how they fit into that. That bleeds into your prep. Mm -hmm. It changes your posture. You start seeing things differently. So I never, I, I don't generally confuse the text, the one I'm preaching on, the one I'm reading that morning. But I think they touch. Yeah. Yeah, so what would be the key difference in kind of attitude when you like if you put your when you put your preacher hat on with a text like this where does your is your mind go somewhere totally different you're saying than that language of yeah that'd be too far of a stretch totally totally different i think when i pick up a text like this knowing i gotta preach on it (laughs) that's okay yeah yeah that in itself right is is sort of uh it's kind of constraining you know at that at that point because you know in four or five days I have to deliver this. I can't lay it down. So I've got to resolve some of the tensions that I see right away in this okay. text. I can't see a thousand directions. I can yeah. see one. And I, in my private devotions, I never feel compelled to resolve things. Okay. 
nor to pick which thing I'm going to think about. I think about them all. Yeah. Until one just rises, and then I write it on a post-it note and stick it on the wall. Yeah. So. And then that might become sermon fodder six months later, perhaps, when you're selecting texts. That's right. Yep. So with the preacher's hat off, as it were, with the... So what are some tensions you're noticing in this text, just to use that language of things that aren't easily resolved uh, in this particular passage? That, again, you might rush to sew up otherwise, but... I think one of the first thing I caught here is that the nations are streaming into this place, and yet, at the same time, that doesn't seem to be the most important thing about it. Hmm. So it's diversity, as we would use the word today, but not intentional diversity. It's secondary. And what's it secondary to, you think? The word of the Lord. Okay. The temple, where God is established. If the word of the Lord is not there, if God is not magnetically drawing his people to the temple, it doesn't matter how many nations are coming to it. It isn't diversity for the sake of diversity. It's diversity as a byproduct of the nation streaming in to be in the presence of God. So one of the tensions is, how much attention am I paying to the wrong thing? Ah, yeah. Yeah, it's striking that... Riffing off that a little bit for me, one of the things that it's this it's this very universal picture, right, of all these nations yeah. coming in. But it's yeah. not maybe too uh too philosophical of a word, but it's not an abstract universal. It's a concrete universal. Oh, it's yeah. not everyone gathering up into heaven or no. or everyone in their nation doing something different. It's coming to this specific Mount Zion. I mean, this is a yeah. specific place, yeah. you know, and the nations are being drawn, like you said, magnetically to the word of the Lord that's, you know, coming forth from the Lord's mountain, Mount yeah. Zion. It's yeah. very specific. Now, now that's a very dangerous thought if we start thinking like, if we start thinking of the church just as Israel, that's going to be a really problematic concept because it's like all your differences don't matter, come and obey us, right? Yeah. But if we think of... Yeah. If the church itself as a first fruits of this event, yeah, of the gathering to Israel's God, yeah, at His chosen place, yeah, uh, His chosen nation, which is not the United States or <laughs> the United right. Kingdom or exactly. any other, um, exactly, and perhaps not the modern nation state of Israel either, but no. the people Israel, it's the people of God, right, right, these people, and this particular mountain, yeah, right, it's highly particular, even though it's very universal. And that's another tension, as it were. You know? Yeah, and and so the people are coming, but nobody is making them come. <laughs> yeah. Nobody is planning this, strategizing, how do we become this kind of a mountain? I, in the one verse, it says, the mountain of the Lord, this is verse two, the mountain of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, in ancient days... All temples were built on mountains. And so I think what he's Ah, saying is of all the religions in the world, of all these temples that the different nations have built for themselves to recognize their deities, those mountains themselves will be subject not to the authority of Yahweh, but to the attractiveness of Yahweh. Yeah, that's interesting. Tell me more of that distinction, attractiveness. 
authority? Because, I mean, this language of law and judging and decisions seem to I, – I see authority there. So, that, so tell me what you're thinking. Yeah, right law is not – again, this is my bias on this. And this has been – in my own personal um, journey with God over the years has been an important growth point for me. The law, as it is portrayed, is a couple of things. One is it's a photograph – of God himself. It's God's character in nature, such that if we were to walk in the law, we would be so satisfied in that life that we would do it willingly. No one would have to make us. It is self-evident, what Lewis called the Tao. It's an objective reality that is written in the universe. And to walk in it is to walk in his ways. That's the other way. It, the, the law of God is simply the ways of God. And now I'm talking more about what Wesley would call this, the moral law, not the ceremonial law. Yeah. It, but it's this self-evident reality, right? You're laughing. Why because are you laughing? tension in the text, right? Because it's, yeah, it's yeah. This, this moral justice being portrayed. But again... In the temple, right? So the ceremonial is not completely uh, set aside. Yeah. <laughs> it's all yeah. drawn together. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas Willard says, that's a great statement. He says, if there was an, um, he, he says, when Jesus says to walk in his way, if there was another better way to walk, he would be the first person to tell you to do it. <laughs> right. That's good. <laughs> He's not trying to sell you something. He's no. not trying to win you over to his side, make a convert out of you, get you to kneel and obey. He's not trying to do that. He's telling you what is self-evident. And so this law, I so in my, in my little world, here, <laughs> my little cerebral world, when God is on the throne... The nations stream to him because the reality and the truth of what he is saying is just a better way. Yeah. And there's some, uh, one little possible exegetical observation that, that supports this picture of the law. So towards the end of verse three, where it says, for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I mean, this is Hebrew parallelism. It's two ways of saying the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when we hear the phrase word of the Lord as that seconding sort of helps to highlight the law of the Lord as the word of the Lord, right? And this signals a lot of things. It signals back to creation narrative. And so the very word of God, right? Oh, Which is therefore yeah, 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 yeah. speaking forth from God's it's very character and not just, yeah. yeah. So that Beautiful. helps that picture that you're painting. As well as points forward, as you can see here in the next couple lines, this word of the Lord is an image of the word that goes forth as the the judgment of God yeah. him making decision about who sided with his people and who didn't and that kind of thing and who, yeah. who did right and who did wrong. And so there is a discerning part in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not just inclusive. Yeah. But law, the law and word helps to kind of paint a picture of law as – Although interestingly, it's so bizarre because at the same time, the imagery here is also, I mean, it's not that distant from the imagery of Josiah or later with Ezra of just like literally reading yeah. from the book of the law yeah. as something yeah. you would do as people gathered at the temple. Yeah. Right. So you, it has this very, there's a kind of earthly 
side to this that's just yeah. very mundane and and very human and yet this like very radical kind of supernatural eschatological vision of something where 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 suddenly the i mean some translations hide it more than others but the imagery here is the saying that that Mount Zion's going to be the tallest mountain in the world, you yeah. know, which it yeah. clearly isn't. It's kind of a minor mountain, you know. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is another great tension. Is, is, yeah, isn't yeah. It? How is it that this little corner of <laughs> Jerusalem right. becomes the? Yeah, I didn't choose, and it, it goes back to Deuteronomy. I didn't choose you because yeah. you were special or had anything to contribute. Yeah, I chose you of my own. That's right. You know, sheer love and love of your fathers, and it was, and in, I, if anything, I chose you precisely because you're small and insignificant. Yeah, and I needed a good. Yeah, I needed a good example of what you couldn't do and I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I chose the weakest. Yeah, so that the nations will know that I am the Lord. Right? You said you've been in yeah. Ezekiel and Jeremiah, yeah. where that's said over yeah. and over again. It's not oh, said my. as often in Isaiah, but this is a a variant of that theme. Yep. But in Isaiah's more yep. in Isaiah's idiom. Yep. Um, yep. The, the, there's a there's another at another couple of just big picture thoughts yeah go is for this it. the this the time for him well yeah they'll throw them out there and then we'll it'll see set if, agenda if, for see if we got to wait or not yeah okay one of them was um when you talk about the impact of this on me personally the impression i got when i read this is that all of the justice and the settling of disputes follows the going out of the word and and it 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 does not precede it, and it does hmm. not happen apart from it. It's as the word is taught, and people walk in the ways established by God's word, we are in a position to bring justice to the world and settle the disputes. So uh, one of the thoughts that uh, that kind of rang around in my brain as I read it was... Um, there's a lot of talk about peace and justice, but nobody ever tells us what they mean by that. And one person's justice is another man's tyranny. <laughs> yeah. And and, yeah. and this is not the Jews saying you and you said it a few moments ago, you will come and live the way we want you to live. Because what what I read is we are ourselves as subject to this word. I mean, the last verse is, come, O house of Jacob, yeah. let us go. We are, um, we are one of the nations. Yeah, yeah. That was important. So uh, then then the corollary idea was um, that the word of God is, and you touched this a moment ago. You said when the, uh, it was there when the world was created, he spoke the world into existence. It, it has formative and creative powers. Mm -hmm. And so one of the personal things for me was was to ask myself, is the Word of God creating anything new in me hmm. lately? If it's not forming and creating in me, then I am probably not getting out of it what it is capable of uh, at this time in my life. Yeah, and you see a beautiful picture of that happening in, in verse 4c, I'll say. And they hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into yeah. fingers, which has two layers, right? It's both the setting aside of war, the war. We don't need these war implements anymore. But yeah. interestingly, it fits your imagery where it's not like the word of the Lord coming out saying, hey, do this. It's, yeah. well, obviously now we don't need these <laughs> yeah. war implements. Yeah. But then what do they change them into? They change them into plowshares. Right. It's yeah. to, to cultivate. Yeah. 
yeah, and bring life. Good right? point. Yeah. They're, so they're no longer tools of destruction. They're mm-hmm. tools of creation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of effect of the word. Yes. Uh, coming oh, forth good. towards that's the end good. of verse three. That's good. Yeah. So is it Which fits so, your imagery? Yeah. So the personal touch, I don't know, back to uh, the preacher hat off, uh, is is the word of God, is it doing that to yeah. me? Is it making me more critical and destructive and skeptical <laughs> and, and um, judgmental, angry? You know, why won't this world, um, um, or will it, is it making me more of the character of Christ? Yeah, and that raises a great question is the distinction between the word and law, which is doing the judgment work, and it's those who hear it that are doing the the peacemaking work of yeah. changing their yeah. swords into plowshares. Is in your opinion the the you talked about the Hebrew parallelism is is the law and the word of the Lord used here the same thing? Yeah, at least it's in roughly parallel. Well, that's actually a good question because I think a whole bunch of these things might be helpful. I say we take a break and come back and let's just okay. let's do some parallel work because it okay. might really help yeah. with this. Okay, cool. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Uh, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and I'm here with Steve Deneth. And you asked a question, and we can start with that one about, yeah, yeah so Hebrew parallelism is really key, and it's really important to bring in, especially as we transition into more Old Testament texts. Um, so, I mean, you have your narrative uh, portions um, of the Hebrew Bible, but most of the wisdom literature, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, all that, as well as almost all of the, with some narrative exceptions w- embedded within them, almost all of the prophets are written in this style. And the the concept that helped me the most is when someone referred to Hebrew parallelism as a kind of, you know, because people try to classify all the different kinds. And then this has kind of become passe to say, because really they become pretty arbitrary and you end up making so many exceptions that really maybe you don't have a typology here at all. Right, right. And the helpful way is to say, think of it as it's it's seconding. It's it's saying, you know, think of when you're in a meeting and someone says, I propose this. It's second. Okay. It's like, okay, yeah, I agree, but maybe I would have a different reason or a subtly different angle on it, right? So you always think of it as saying the same thing a different way, Mm -hmm. which does in fact add a new insight or perspective without necessarily it's almost never a separate thing and yet it's not identical either. So you have to kind of get a subtle kind of unity and difference, right? So a lot of, a lot of strange ideas have emerged in the Christian tradition, some of which are great ideas, but their exegetical basis is flimsy. They might be good ideas anyway, but like, (laughs) like the image and likeness of God, people say, Oh, well the image is this, but the likeness is well, okay. Now it's true. In fact, that there is what we are by creation and there's what we will be in the eschaton that's true for other reasons in the scriptures yeah but exegetically it's not grounded loading onto the no image and likeness two ways of saying the same thing right i mean likeness is 
maybe not ratcheting it up a little bit and giving a different angle. Now, is that typical in Hebrew parallelism? Yeah. To, 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 so in your seconding of the motion, is the second a little bit, it's like, yeah, I second that with this little one. twist. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then and you it's want... not just a twist. I'm hearing you say it's yeah. also, he's dialing it up a little bit or he's becoming more specific. So he's not yes. just saying, yeah, this is not just, so. In yeah, this... but you always let the, the context in front of you make your judgment calls on in what way okay. that twist is there. But so it, it's not always a massive ratcheting. It could be it's case by case. Just a sli- yeah. Okay. So, but in most cases, would you say it is, it's a way of emphasizing something mm-hmm. to say it twice because mm-hmm. they're not using as italics well as help you remember and they it. can't underline. Yeah. It's also just yeah. to remember it. Yeah. Okay. So you probably can remember one and one and the other. It gives rhythm to the uh to the it, it's rhythm to the concepts rhythm to the ideas yeah right sure yeah the, right? kind of the, yeah. yeah so in this case and uh when he says the law will go out from zion is he speaking of the torah yeah so i mean law here i mean we can check let's double check i have it right here um but word is almost certainly debar but we can double check and make sure so where is isaiah should have had this out from the beginning. My Hebrew is terrible, but I can check a word. <laughs> oh, mine's I can check a word. That's all I can offer. So, uh, yeah, this is great radio. Listening to pages listening flip. to John Drury read Hebrew. <laughs> oh man, I came for this. Well, I don't know about that. I was thinking just the flipping of pages is pretty boring. But uh, so we're looking at the end of three. I mean, I'd be shocked if they're translating any word other than Torah as law here, but I'll double check. Um, so we're looking at the end of three. Yeah. So debar is word of the Lord. So that's your standard word for word. Okay. Debar, debar Yahweh or, um, and where is, and oh yep. Torah. There it is. Right. So yeah, you just got a basic kind of, so, but even the word Torah, which just means instruction. Yeah. Can be a way of referring to the text of, the first five books, right? Okay. Um, yeah. But it can have that kind of narrower, because since that also has narrative material, it yeah. can be thought of as the actual words coming out of God's mouth when Moses was up on the mountain, uh-huh. right? So it can have this kind of narrow sense of when God spoke on Sinai, a different mountain, interestingly, yeah. to this mountain. Yeah. Uh, but, um, or this wider sense of the texts. Um, but then, of course, it can have that widest sense that you talked about, it, just the way that the world the, is structured. You know, which really is the wisdom of God, okay. right? Yeah. The, yeah. the, the chokmah yeah. of God. Yeah. Um, and, and in some sense, you know, and, and the wisdom literature that, that comes much later than Isaiah, but you can see some of the, this language of the word going forth, yeah. springing forth from heaven yeah. to go judge between peoples. That language is central in the wisdom literature that comes yep. later. Yep. Um, like wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. So it's all over the New I'm, Testament. I'm thinking. So they're the, all connected, but not maybe identical. Okay. So in some sense, you're, you're, it's the text, but but it, it can't but not you can't reduce it. Yeah. Text. You can't reduce it to just the text. Yep. It doesn't work that way. Yep. And that yep. that's and here's the second thing helps. So if it said, for instance, this is why the second thing is so helpful. If it said Torah, and then then the next line said decrees. Or even more so, ordinances, statutes, some of those terms that we know Typical from, of Psalm 119. Right. Yeah. Then you're going to think, okay, this is meaning specifically the, the you know, the, the, right, the legislation that's yeah. in Leviticus yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas if it seconds with the word, word, debar, 
that more generates than, a broader sense of is it the prophetic word that can come. I mean, you know, you can have a prophetic debar would fall upon yeah, a prophet. And that's right. That's why I'm asking because exactly. Isaiah is kind of exactly. a spokesman for God in that at that point. So the interaction between the two specifies. So it's not that the second one specifies the first because then you could just say the second. Okay. Why even have the first? It's really the two together specify what he's talking yeah. about. Yeah. So to say Torah and Debar right next to each other gives us a sense of um yes the text, but not just only the that. Text. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. It's a, a a living word being spoken afresh by God in a prophetic and uh in some kind of mode that judges but also creates, which we then see in the immediate yeah. lines after. Yeah. There's a judgment, yes. but that judgment yep. then generates yep. This yep. kind of new way of life. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Which even from the beginning, the imagery of creation even always had judgment. He's judging the water and saying, go over there. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. like, he's but, so, well, to judge is yeah. to separate. That's that right. Point, to he separates the waters. Day from two. The dry, yeah. Separates yeah. night yeah. and light and dark. Day one. Yeah. Doesn't say he creates dark. It only says he creates light. Yeah. It separates light and dark. Right? So, so judgment and creation are always... I mean, intertwined. So for, when you say that, one of the thoughts that um, that came to my mind, because again, I didn't know how to prepare, uh, how to even think about this. That's great. I like I it cold. <laughs> didn't prepare, so but I didn't know how to think about it in terms of your structure. But one of and but some, something you just said right now um, stood out to me. One of the questions I asked myself was at the beginning. It says in that day, in the last day, and I was asking myself, when is the last day? <laughs> there you go. There you and, go. Yeah. And what what exactly is happening on the last day? And when you said a moment ago that the word of the Lord has both distru- has both kind of judgmental, mm-hmm. um, d- uh, discerning powers, distinguishing powers, but it also has creative or generative mm-hmm. powers. Yeah. It made me think the last day is actually both of those things. <laughs> isn't it yeah it's a day of judgment and discernment and so all throughout the prophecies especially the day of the lord is not all good news mm-hmm. it's a day of immense destruction where the most stable elements in the universe the sun the mountains all the planets are literally rumbling while god establishes himself on the earth but it's also a day when the things which he has spoken into existence become palpable and real and they're they're visible whether you believe them or not both of those things are happening in the day of the lord and i started to think i wonder if that's cuz nobody knows why chapter 2 is plopped right where it is yeah this is a this is a key kind of literary problem of in yeah. isaiah why i mean it says it's a what he you know um, it's the word which Isaiah, son of Amos, saw, yeah. which is already a strange yeah. 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 tension. Yeah. yeah. Which is it? A word that you heard or a vision that you saw? Yeah. Yes. 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 Somehow... I was just going to say yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then you get this. Now it will come about that in the last days. So is he talking about the last in a sequence uh, or the very, very last? Uh, and the again, conclusion of all things, right. and how even clear is this in the mind of Isaiah as he writes? Probably not yeah, at all, yeah. because uh, uh, again, if I go back and look at other prophecies, the way that the word is used there, 
There is no clear establishment of, of time or era in which the day of the Lord occurs. It could be a time way out there in the future, but it could also be the moment right after this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It all depends on, on, on what the context is. One of the reasons, uh, I was, I'm toying with why does this occur so early? In part, it's because, you know, we talk about the whole judgment, the condemning, and then there's this whole creative power thing, mm-hmm. right? In part, it's because chapter one was mostly condemnation. Right. To right. Israel itself. Remember, Chapter one is saying, you guys keep coming into the temple and performing all the sacrifices, but I'm frankly sick of hearing you pray. Yeah. And, and these are my people. And so he's basically, um, all the while he's begging them to reason with him, he's sort of stiff arming Israel in chapter one. But in chapter two, the first few words out of chapter two is in the midst of this condemnation. Don't forget yeah. the creative power of God. God will establish something new. And therein uh, lies, I think, some of the church's angst. Hmm. I was in a bookstore last week on break, surprise, and uh, I was walking around in the religious section and as i as i looked at the books it seemed like there were there were two kinds of themes that were out there one of the themes is a bunch of writers basically trying to tell the church to calm down everything try a little harder <laughs> um everything is okay but you know you're basically um uh, you probably need to work on your spiritual lives, some things. I'm not going to say authors' names. I don't want to disrespect. But there's just a lot of material there that are calling for people or for calling the church to make a few minor changes in the mm-hmm. way that we do religion, and then everything will be just as God intended. That's one stream. Then there's another stream of this kind of dark, prophetic, foreboding yeah. language by saying, gosh, these are difficult days. We've never been here before, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and th- so it, you could lump a lot of these Christian books into one of those two rivers. Ah, yeah. And as I put Isaiah chapter one and the first five verses of chapter two in front of me, what I hear is if you're in the first stream, what you need to know is that things are not just about okay. We are not, we are more than a few minor tweaks away from riding this ship. We are in serious disrepair. Uh, so I'm speaking now of the church. Mm-hmm. It, it's possible that God is tired of our sacrifices and our prayers, even though we think we have him wrapped around our little finger. <laughs> Maybe he is not as cozy as we want him to be or think he is. So you should be, this is radical and these days are dark. If you're in the second river, which is where I've spent time in the prophets, um, then the word of the Lord is, remember, this is not how it ends. Yeah, yeah. God is going to write this thing himself one day by establishing a mountain above all mountains. Don't be so dark and down about everything, you know? 
So he's going to redeem it. Yeah, I hear yeah. both of those uh, uh, streams, uh, both of those words, but to different streams of the evangelical church. Yeah, well, that that raises these. These are always these tensions with interpreting the prophets. Is recognizing, uh, of course, this applies with scripture interpretation in general, but it, but it's really crucial with the prophets, where there's the the sort of immediate context and meaning of a text. Yeah. Right? The, like the historic moment. Yeah. And again, this could apply in general, but with prophetic texts, it's unique because they're the very language of the texts drives beyond that oh, yeah. because last days Mount, you know, the language of Mount Zion towering over all the, na- you know, this is, this is not a, yeah. uh, this is not something that in fact even could be fulfilled in the normal, unfolding of human agency right this yeah. requires some yeah. massive yeah. reordering yeah. by a divine intervention at the end of time right yeah. and yet he's clearly addressing the injustices of his own time right so right. how how do yep. you kind of yep. keep both of those in play and then both of those meet in this crucial kind of third layer uh of the kind of christological significance of a text like this you know when christians read it, the prophets but especially isaiah it's hard to not, you know, wonder if we're being invited to hear this as being fulfilled, at least in some way, you know, in the cross and resurrection and anticipated in the incarnation. I, th- I think of that not not only because I wouldn't always go there, but because this is a text that's been assigned for Advent, you know, so we're kind of thinking of it as anticipating. So, so there's, there's what would have been fulfilled then, there's what will be fulfilled in the end, and there's what's being fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus So, as key to maybe interpreting both of those. I don't know. I'm just so talking. Let, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me ask you that. Because yeah. uh, uh, if, if this is the first Sunday of Advent, when you read the text, wherein do you see any reference to the person of Jesus? To anything to do with the incarnation? Yeah. Well... Do they touch it all? <laughs> well, I mean, by way of reference, I mean, none. I mean, in a sense, like you don't have to think of uh, the author kind of referring to events that haven't yet occurred. I mean, he's just handing on um, the vision as he receives it. So it's more at a th- sort of thematic level and one being the word of the Lord <laughs> coming forth from Jerusalem, right? I mean, there you go. Christ nice. himself nice. is the... Im- yeah. The incarnation of the word. He is both text and, as you said, bigger way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, again, this isn't saying Interesting. that this is a reading of the intent of the author here, but actually uh, what I'm attempting to do is kind of uh, put on my first century Christian hat. What would yeah. it be like to have been a part of the first generation of Christians, Jewish followers of Jesus, after the death and resurrection, reading huh. the book of Isaiah. How would they have read this? Yeah, and, yeah. and the, that, the, the stirring of the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, wow. right? Hasn't the word yeah. been going out from Jerusalem in this very movement of yeah, and the gospel? It, and in Christ, did it not just come out in big fashion? Right? Yeah, and, and in, you know, this word nations here, yeah. In the Septuagint, in the Greek, would be the same word that gets translated Gentiles in the yeah. New Testament. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the idea of the Gentiles being drawn into Christ. Yeah. Um, Very good. So that that's part of what 
that's a little bit of where my mind wants to go. Again, I don't want to go there in a way that erases Isaiah's original. And that's, yeah, that's, but I, it does seem to me crucial that, let me put it this way. If I'm going to risk erasure of the original context, (laughs) I'd rather risk Christological erasure before my own kind of moral and political erasure. Cause we, we engage in eraser all the time when we say, well, Isaiah is telling us about how we should live our lives now. And it's like, maybe not, maybe this text has no application to our direct directly. I mean, I think it does, but I'm saying, um, there's a, it seems to me that, that for Christian readers, in order to apply it to our lives, we often then place ourselves as the Jews in the story, but actually most of us as Gentile, I'm a Gentile, you're a Gentile, you're Dutch, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're part of the nations being drawn in. We're not part of the temple drawing. Isn't that something? right? We always forget that. Yeah, well, I do. And that, and the Christological mediation of the application, even if, even if, you know, I'm not saying a point for point, this is predicting the life of Christ. I'm not trying to do that kind of cheap, uh, prophetic reading, yeah. but rather to say that this text is about us precisely because we are among the nations being drawn in, grafted yeah. in, drawn yeah. in yeah. to God's people through Christ. Yeah. So that doesn't yeah. mean, again, it's a way that there's a sense in which maybe I could say that this text doesn't refer to Christ, but Christ refers us to this text, right? It's, nice. it's nice. through Christ that nice. this text yeah. is relevant to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, One other way might just be to say um, this is this vision, as we were talking earlier on, is just so far fetched. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's yeah. way out there. I mean, this will yeah. not, uh, barring the return of Christ, this will not happen in my lifetime, mm-hmm. or your lifetime, mm-hmm. or your kids' lifetime, or your grandkids' lifetime. We are that far, John, from this thing happening. Yeah, right. <laughs> so maybe the purpose. And yet, in our hearts, we know that this will happen Mm -hmm. because it has been declared. So maybe the purpose of this text in Advent would simply be to say, this text is so far-fetched that there is no way of pulling this out unless somebody breaks in. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the prophetic imagination. We can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. This is above our pay grade. Yeah. That's good. Well, let's take a quick break and then do some sermon starters. Sure. Sound good? Sure. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Steve the Neff. First time guest, but I've been really enjoying having you on. Thanks. And we're looking at Isaiah 2, verses 1 through... Five and let's explore some sermon starters. Where might we? Where might you go with this drawing on? If I had to write a sermon on this, again, lots of different directions. Um, let me just rip off a few. Of the, I mean, these are not outlines, right? That's not that's not what you want. Because I don't have outlines. No, no, no. It can be whatever you want. I'm just going to say, if I had to pick a road and go down exactly. it, and write a sermon. Okay, exactly. Um, one of the things, the one of the first things to hit me uh, is this strikes me as an I have a dream mm-hmm. kind of text. So one way to preach this would be to preach an I have a dream sermon for um, the for the whole world, not for a single issue like racial justice. But for something much larger than that, which, according to the text, 
includes mm-hmm. racial justice, at least inclusion. The nations are streaming into mm-hmm. it. But it's a lot more than just getting equality. So in the dream speech, you would simply say, um, this is the world that I, that along with Isaiah, that I envision someday. This may not happen in my lifetime, but it will happen. And start painting a picture. There will come a day when the people of God are are coming from every nation and they are they are drawn naturally. They're not compelled out of duty hmm. or obligation. They're coming naturally to a place where they can what? Hear the word of God taught. And why do they want to hear it? So they can walk in his ways. They have an emphasis in discipleship with a bias toward obedience, toward action immediately. It's a day when the this this place where the people of God gather are, it is the place where the city settles its disputes. Hmm. It's a place where justice rolls out from Zion into the corners of the community. And and this this I have a dream speech ends by just saying, um, where do we begin? Then hmm. come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in his ways. Yeah. That might be one way. Yeah, that verse five is so key. We didn't spend a lot of time on it, but this kind of until this happens. Because really five gives that application of what it means now, yeah. at least in the original setting. Yeah. In that sense. In light of what is to come, yep. let us walk in the yep. ways that we're not going to be able to bring all the nations in. That's going to require an act of God. Absolutely. But in the meantime, yep. Yep. we can be faithful to the light we have and walk in the light of the Lord. Yep. And the truth is, we don't, most of us, even want all the nations in. We're not even there. I mean, we're not even we, there internally yet. Yeah, our we own hearts need to be them, changed. Our own hearts need to be changed. Yeah. So, so yeah, verse 5, as you're talking, I'm thinking that sounds like the Abrahamic coffin. Remember what he said is, I will bless you, and then through you, mm-hmm. exactly. the world will be blessed. And and so, uh, so the word of the Lord of the church on that day, if it's an I have a dream sermon— would just be saying, remember, the blessing of God is not just he's something he's doing for us, but something he's doing through us to the people in our city. This can't happen until we walk in his ways. Hmm. That should be enough to preach. Yeah, that's good. I, that's a good I, sermon. I, I think. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's, <laughs> somebody's got to write it, but yeah, it's a... Yeah, and then the... then the. So here's a, here's a kind of imagery that, that starts to come to mind playing with that yeah. very idea of so you know if we think of of Christ's own um resurrection as a, as the first fruits of the this final harvest that's being yeah. pictured here right and then if we think of every time a uh you know a gentile comes to believe in the God of Israel through Jesus Christ that's yeah. another little uh, I don't know what the word is between first fruits and the final yeah, fruits, but yeah. intermediate fruits. It's, the the, it's a better word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Dear, dear listener, find that's a better so word before you <laughs> preach this. But the intermediate fruits, right? Yeah. And and then and then asking again, playing with not this is 
may end up being a totally different sermon, but for right now, this is just building off what you were saying. Yeah. To think about uh, who are the people uh, already now, intermediately, it's not, it's still to come, right? That's the big dream. But in, in the meantime, as we're faithful, you know, who are the peoples who are saying, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord? It's very fascinating. That's why it's a vision and not, even though he yeah. calls it a word. Yeah. But he sees it because these words from of verse three. That's another good Are sermon. not. Yeah. This isn't a word of God to the people of Israel or to the nations. This is actually a word in terms of verse three. It's a word spoken by the nations to each other. Hey, let's go. There's a desire. Yeah. So, and I think sometimes we, because we rightly worry about the faithlessness of our generation or whatever, that yeah. we sometimes overlook. But who who wants it? Who's desiring? Who's yeah. who's where's where's their uh, ripening of the word of God? Interesting among yeah. us, right? Yeah. And how do we cultivate and respond to that and welcome that? Is that making sense? Yeah. Are, and I, then you I turn think, around and say, are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Are we, in fact, desiring it or not? Are you, know? you saying, uh, who are the people that are not far from the kingdom of God? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, to use that language. Yeah. It's fascinating. You know, I ran into a guy two nights ago on a walk, and after he ranted, um, he kept saying, I'm not even saved, and I think this. I'm not even saved, that I'm doing this. I'm not even saved, I'm not trying to do this. And I... Finally, I said, um, well, you know, sir, only you would know whether you're saved or not. I wouldn't know that. But it's almost kind of too strongly you protest. <laughs> right, right. I said, if you're on the one hand telling me you're not saved, but on the other hand, you're telling me all the things that you're already doing out of the, out of your natural. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm thinking of Romans 2.14, the Gentiles who do by nature things required in the law. Yeah. Sir, you're doing that. Are you sure? Funny, I just said, if you're not saved, you are not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> he said, thank you. No one's ever told me that mm. before. So what you're saying, I think, has street value right, right yeah. now. There are people who want in and they're not sure that they can get in because of the church's sure. bar. You know? Yeah. And that's if, if someone was preaching this in the Advent season and wanted to make direct kind of Christmas connections yeah, you know, oh, of you course go. the Magi and the shepherds come to mind, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm more of a, I, I have a preference for for genuine Advent preaching. That's part of why I wanted to switch to the where you really we'll talk about Christmas to get to Christmas. Let's let's prepare ourselves a little bit first. Learn how to wait. Learn how to expect yes. a little. Right, right, right. And, yes, but uh, but I'm I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a rigid uh, liturgical fundamentalist about these matters. It's, it's fine. <laughs> Whatever. If you want to talk about shepherds this week, go for it. Uh, the, talk about the Magi, go for it. You yeah. know, there, there is this kind of readiness yeah. uh, and then the resistance. But and, there's also, as you're saying right now on this, there's also wisdom in waiting. Yeah. There's wisdom in building anticipation towards the fourth Sunday of Advent or Christmas Eve. Yeah. It, you, yeah, and this this text invites that, right? So that's what I was part of what I'm thinking about. I mean, I want yeah. it's always again. This is always true with preaching, but yeah. especially with prophetic texts, especially with Advent texts. How do you how do you stir up expectation and yet also give people a way to respond this week, and yet not offer a response that is just resolving the tension 
so that we're not really waiting, right? That this yeah. is a hard, yeah. You know, I've seen you dance that tightrope yeah. in your own preaching, yeah. where you don't want to. You, you got to resolve it a little because you got to you got to feed your people. You know, you can't yeah. just leave them totally out to out out on the lurch, right? But at the same time, you never, in my opinion, almost want to preach a sermon that you could satisfy in a day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So how do you? Balance that. This is more kind of a meta thing, maybe not yeah. a good place to end, but it's yeah. a good text to practice that on because, you know, this is not, if you go this week and change your hammer or sword into a plowshare or its equivalent, have you really a- applied the text? I mean, yeah, in some sense, of it, right? Yeah. But in another sense, it almost misses the point to turn, you know, verse 4C into a law. When it's clearly right. the right. the spontaneous response to hearing the law. Yep. And the hearing of the law comes forth because God has become the desire of the nations in a way that they had no idea. Right? So maybe the short term, I understand and believe me, appreciate the tension that you're talking about. You you have to you have to wrap it up for the day <laughs> yeah, right. somehow, but you can't wrap the whole thing up. Uh maybe one way to do that would be to um say this is a picture of a God who is so attractive that the nations who on this day think of him not at all are drawn to him irresistibly. Mm-hmm. How attractive is he to you? There you go. That would be one way. Another way to do it, I think you just touched on, is to say, um, uh, your house, you're the house of Jacob. Our, are you are you beginning at least to walk in the ways yeah. that you hope the world will go? Mm-hmm. Cause believe me, they're watching. And they treat you different because they want the you to be different. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so don't give in. Don't collapse because you're unpopular or you're quote unquote irrelevant. All that means is you're not chasing trends. Good. You're leading them. So yeah. be different. It, yeah. Yeah, and you can, these these could all emerge in a in a sermon, right? Is he attractive? Not to turn it into points, but I always do that. Yeah. Right? Is he attractive to you, right? Yeah. And then the follow up: if he is, then are you walking in his ways? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the third yeah. question is: Are you seeing fruit? Right? Is the word creating something in you? Yeah. So the yeah. So right? that question you asked forty minutes ago. Yeah. Really got to me. Yeah. I tucked it yeah. away till now. But that was a deep question. Is, is the word of God, you know, what yeah. is the word calling out in you? That's in judgment. That's but a what better is the way word creating? Yes. That's new. Yeah. yeah. What's it doing to me? It, uh, so, yeah. yeah. So, is he attractive to you? I think I like that question. I do. Uh, that fits the whole text the best. I yeah. Think. yeah. It, but so, if he's attractive to you, then get, I mean, I can't say this enough. Get into the word. Yeah. You cannot, you, you, I mean, John, we've got in the church today, a group of people that are good at worship, but they know <laughs> they, but they know virtually nothing about the word and they see no, um, disconnect in that at all. Huh. They think that's, this is just a more contemporary or this is just my way of doing it. And you shouldn't be judgmental. But the truth is, if you love somebody and they're attractive to you, do you not want to hear what they say? <laughs> do you not listen to them? See, so I so we could come out of the attractiveness and we would say, 
Am I listening to the word of the Lord? Is it being ingrained in the fiber of my being? And then finally, where he talks about beating swords into plowshares and things, is there is there some expression of this? Mm-hmm. What am I doing differently because I read the word? Uh, what When's the last time I read the Bible and changed my mind about anything? Yeah. About anything. Because the truth is, if I don't already believe it, I don't even see it in the text, John. And if you were to point it out, I would say, well, that's not what that means. (laughs) So when do I read it and just go, oh, my goodness, I was wrong. To a different way. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, I'm preaching. I shouldn't. I love it. No, you preach away. (laughs) Preach it. (laughs) No, that's good. That's good. And And it fits right back. I mean, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his concerning his ways. And that we may walk in his paths, like the question of who do I long to listen to? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Because you're listening to somebody. Yeah. Believe it. That's right. To whom do I wish to listen to? That is right. Who am I listening to? Something like that could be an opening question. Yeah. And, and, uh, And the way you know is when two voices disagree. Yeah, there you go. Sure. You'll know it. So whenever one of the voices you're listening to says something, another voice says something else. It's the one you follow is the one you're listening to. It's not the one that you say you're listening to. Sure. Yeah. No, that's good. That's the that's the discriminating that's, difference. Yeah. The acid test. Yeah. And then also quite very practically, and some of it's just habit, where it's like, I mean, I I know I could confess right now and it'd be very fitting in a sermon to just talk about, I mean, this is a podcast and I mean, heck I started a podcast cause, cause I listen to podcasts like a lot, like way too much. Right. And, and, and it's just that very real question of like, when I have a little downtime, I stick my earbuds in, what do I want to listen to? You know, am I listening to, and I, I got that free Bible app on my phone. You know, yeah, and it'll read it for me. You know, yes. Uh, someone just pointed out to me actually the, the <laughs> NIV UK, the British version of the NIV on yeah. the Bible app is this really great reader. He reads real slow. British accent's great. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> and I haven't listened <laughs> I haven't to heard it more. It. Okay. And you know, and and most of the scriptures were written for the ear, not the eye. Anyway, so there's nothing you yeah, know. Listening to right. it's a great alternative to. way. Yeah. To engage the scriptures, I know that's getting really practical, and could be there's a kind of guilt version of that. Like, yeah, you listen to me, podcast. I don't mean it that way. That's why I put it in the form of testimony yeah. for me as yeah. a preacher to say, yeah, I, I confess. Yeah. Here's, I don't, I'm not always rushing to listen to the word of the Lord. Yeah, no, and I'm not either. You know, it's, and, no, and owning it's, that, and and yet when yeah. we do right, and oh, oh my, it's goodness. a d- clear difference in my day. Between a day when the first thing I do is put a podcast on and when the first thing I do is listen to a chapter of scripture. Those are different days and I know it and just knowing that's not the same as building the habit, but I've been noticing the habit suggesting. Yeah. I think what what is so intimidating is that in order to, uh, uh, at least for me, in order uh, to reach that point in the reading of scripture where things start to come alive, Mm. um, it, it is such a time commitment yeah. And it's such a focus commitment. Look, we're finally hitting pay dirt right now. And we've been added in. Yeah, hour. exactly. Now it's, it's an starting hour, to really click. Right? That's right. So 
the question then is, I mean, do I have an hour and a sparring partner with whom I can do this on a regular basis? So every day for this kind of dialogue might be too aggressive. Oh, yeah. And, well, and one shouldn't beat themselves up for not doing it. Yeah. Oh, boy, no. find time. I mean, at some point in the week, right? Although when I stop and think of the amount of when I actually look on my phone because it records it, don't do that if you don't want to have a conviction moment. But, you know, yeah, and just yeah. see how many hours a week oh, are podcasts. Oh, time. <laughs> oh, does it really? Oh, see, I don't ever podcast. So. You know, okay. Uh, it, it'll actually it, track it's up the, there. Yeah. So I think, oh, I, have some, I think I might have more time than I realize. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Perhaps that's just me, but that's great. Having said all that, we definitely want you to keep listening to the podcast. Yeah, like, listen <laughs> to this one. Listen to this one. Yeah, let the others go. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for this hour. And like you said, it just starts getting cooking at the end, but that's okay. We want to leave it there for our listeners, especially those who are preparing teaching and preaching uh, uh, times coming up that hopefully they feel like it's unfinished and they can pick up where we left off. And like you said earlier, I think it might have been off mic, the, uh, the, uh, so what is it? A good idea is just two bad ideas that happen to bump into each other or something? <laughs> that's right. I think that's perfect. Yeah, so. so we've had two bad ideas here, yours and mine. Maybe yeah. there will be a good one come out and of it. Because getting it definitively right is not what we're out to do, but to no. try to offer, to right. stimulate some thought and ideas. That's right. Sometimes in, it's just a sentence, isn't it? You just you heard somebody it. say mm-hmm. something. Yeah. 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 So thank you so much, Steve, for, hey, for giving an joy. hour. And this thanks to all fun. our listeners. Appreciate it uh, a ton. And, uh, you got anything new coming out, uh, any books or anything like that uh, on no, the road or just, uh, no, yeah, no, cool. Just not after ask. the months I've had. No, nah, I, I do you. have to write again though. Okay. Thanks for the, thanks for the kick in the, oh no, the I don't know, no, no, I need it. I really, I need to, it's been probably five years since I've written anything. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Steve's got a bunch of books out there, so check them out. Um, you can get them at all your usual places. And so thanks to you and thanks to all our listeners and thanks to, uh, Eric Fisher and Todd Bishong who help out with the production work. Appreciate you so much. Can't imagine doing it without you. And thanks to Tom Adamson for uh, donating the theme music. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. (laughs) Bye-bye.